welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Anchor Capital's Peter Armitage and Nick Krell from F&B Wealth and Investments. If you'd like to send questions to us, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za, or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Uh, Nick, Peter, good evening to you both. Peter, if I may start with you, because I don't think we've ever had you on the show before, so it's nice to have you. Um, it's uh, quite a tricky time for markets at the moment. Um, do you get the sense that there's a lot of hesitancy, uh, people waiting for some sort of clear direction. Um, I don't know if the, the local market issue is the MPC later this week or if that's really a non-event for, for JSC investors. Yes, I think the, um, from a global point of view, markets have done pretty well this year. Um, you know, if you've been invested in the S&P or the NASDAQ, you've had a great return. Um, but I think the, you know, everybody's questioning whether that's a little bit overdone. I've seen some consolidation over the course of the last few weeks. And I think people are nervous to put more money in. On top of that, the RAND's weakened uh, by about 11% year to date. Um, so people aren't, there's not, you know, it's the, the earnings growth isn't strong. Markets are fairly expensive. It's hard to get uh, massive conviction. Mm. Um, then flowing through into South Africa, uh, you know, global markets are a big factor, but emerging markets are the biggest factor. And China's been China's recovery from being locked down from COVID in December last year has been quite stuttering. So resources are battling a bit. We had platinum shares down 50, 60%. Uh, process. So resources are 35% of our market. Yeah. Naspass is 15 or 20, depending on how you look at it. And those are all China driven. So we kind of, everybody's waiting to see if China kind of, you know, provides the, the, the big bullet stimulus they have in the past. Mm. And, you know, at the same time, the CEO of Naspers, our biggest company, exited today. Yes. So it, it is, it does feel a little bit like kind of step back and, and sit and wait type mode. Yeah, I, um, there's a question on that, and I'll get to that in a moment. But Nick, I just wanted to ask you, and I have asked this in the last week or so, do you think that the investment case, um, if not the investment case, but China's um, imports, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting all the wrong words here. Uh, but the, the case for China has fundamentally changed. In other words, it was the driver for commodities demand and growth in the commodity sector over the last 15 years. Um, but that was because of huge building programs and huge infrastructural investment. If that has not changed in China and it's actually ended, that like you're not going to see that same sort of investment in the next 15 years. Is the case for commodities and actually for, for quite a few things that we had bet on has that fundamentally altered, do you think? So I think I think that's exactly what the market's grappling with at the moment. Um, you know, from a China perspective, it's not like they decided yesterday, well, that's it, we're stopping, stopping this sort of infrastructure-led kind of boost to the economy. Uh, you know, they've highlighted for the last seven years they want to transform their economy to more of a consumption-led type of economy. And I think going into the long term, obvious it needed to happen you know unfortunately it's not a necessarily an easy path to sort of take or to get right um so what you're now seeing is china grappling with the idea where they've been trying to stimulate i suppose the consumption side you know as peter mentioned coming out of COVID, but it's been a little bit lethargic well perhaps a little bit more than a little bit um <laughs> it's been very lethargic um you, your idea then comes down to, you know to what the chinese government actually says do they accept that they're going to have this you know pretty significant growth deceleration over the next couple of years and still commit to just consumption led type of growth or or do you, do they have the the ability and perhaps the shorter term willingness to actually say well you know what this 
this this growth rate is too tepid. Uh, we're going to accelerate, stimulate in the short term. Yes, it's it's not a 15-year story. It's a one or two-year story. But let's get some growth back, some confidence back in the economy, and then we will sort of hopefully sort of transform the economy back to the consumption-led sort of size. Um, yeah. So overall, I suppose it's not necessarily the death knells of that investment case, um, but certainly the longer-term transformation needs. Uh, you know, is I think um, stopping significant new stimulus coming in from a from a you know commodities kind of perspective. Okay. You're not seeing massive production because guys are ramping up for the next 15-year super cycle. Yeah. You're consolidating at the moment, but is it enough? Yeah, yeah, big question. Um, okay, on to the Bob issue. So Bob van Dijk uh, leaving uh, Process and Naspers. Um, Bob has made out like a bandit from Process and Naspers, um, given its massive shareholding in Tencent. Um, so his remuneration has been something that a lot of investors have not liked for a very long time. But the question from one of our viewers is, do you think that Bob van Dijk's departure will lead to a less stubborn approach to returning excess Tencent shares to Naspers Process shareholders? A holding in Tencent of less than 10% is adequate to fund future growth. The remainder should be returned to shareholders. Um, Peter, what do you think? Yeah, so I don't think the the strategy is ultimately decided by Bob Van Dijk. I think Chris Becker remains the like effective controlling shareholder, and he's been the major determinant behind it. And the whole scenario is quite interesting. You know, the at, on Monday morning at seven a.m., you get an announcement from a Africa's biggest country that the CEO is leaving, and there's an interim CEO. You know, if there's any kind of planning or structured timing behind it, there wouldn't be an interim CEO, there'd be a, a new CEO appointed or, or some sort of... So I think the market's still a bit mystified. Yeah. So clearly either you had some personal issues or probably, um, you know, I would imagine some sort of disagreement at center. Mm-hmm. But it's a, you know, I think NASPAS on a well-communicated um, path to trying to unlock value. But the reality is you still sit with a, over a 40% discount to some of the parts in NASPAS, over 30% with process. And, I would, you know, shareholders are continuing to put pressure on it. Mm. It's a little bit easier said than done to um, simply distribute to shareholders. Um, you know, lots of tax and CGT and regulatory implications. So it's a very complex situation. And that's why the market's only prepared to pay 60 Rand for 100 Rand of assets in the case of NASPAS. Yeah. I mean, Nick, you know, and, and the, the thing is that the Tencent investment has provided the capital to to plow into all the other ventures, which are mostly um, still loss making. I mean, they chew up huge amounts of cash, um, although Bob and Dake was very adamant to the market that they had a, a, a net asset value of what, at least about nine billion euros. Was that the figure put on it about last year? I mean, do you believe that figure? And, and do you think maybe that's, there is a disbelief in that and that's why he's gone? No, I think I probably do believe that, that sort of figure or, or round about that sort of figure. Um, I, think, I think if you had a look, you know, Bob's been with the company for what, 10 years and as exactly, you know, what's been said is almost the mandate was to take capital from their existing businesses should it, you know, you know, provide it, provide the, 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 them with a little bit of cash flow, um, and spend that on nascent businesses that hopefully can, you know, become profitable in time. And the reality is, this is ten years down from when he sort of joined, and it's not. 
becoming profitable over time. Uh, and I think you saw investors run away from that idea. The discount widened significantly. And really, I think, you know, towards the end of last year, I think there was a pretty meaningful step change from, from, um, from, from process uh, overall, you know, suggesting that they're going to do away with that strategy. They are now going to look at unlocking value for investors. And ultimately, they have, through the course of this year, disposed of assets that uh, required further significant cash flow um, and trying to consolidate and really bring this whole sort of beast towards profitability. So, you know, in that sort of environment, the vast majority of your net asset value is coming through um, where you don't have a controlling interest. Uh, you start wondering what Bob's role really was within the company and what he could actually add value to. You know, as Peter said, a lot has been um, said about the unlock um, overall, um, as well as more recently, it's about uh, your investment officer, um, who's now the new interim CEO. So, mm. you know, in that, I'm not surprised to see him leave. I think it's probably, you know, almost high time. Um, and I think ultimately the market will look favorably upon this. But, but I think Peter did also touch on a very important issue and that if this had been the game plan for the last six months, we wouldn't have an interim CEO. Yeah. Um, so yeah. something has happened very much in the short term to, uh, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, uh, just a follow-up question from a viewer asked whether it's a good time now to buy NASPASS to narrow the discounts. Um, and I wonder, you know, Bob's uh, had a lot of focus on food delivery. And I'm just not sure food delivery, especially in Europe, is actually doing, I mean, it had a kind of COVID bump, but I don't really know if it's doing what everyone thought it would and huge amounts of money have gone into those f companies, but you're not really seeing much back. Um, but uh, as to whether or not you would buy it now, uh, Peter, would you? Yeah, I think it'd be worthwhile having it as part of a portfolio. Um, I, I don't see anything that's going to drive the discount in the short term. I'm, I'm not expecting a huge announcement following what's happened at Bob. Um, and you really are, you know, 75, 80%, you're placing a bet on what happens to the 10 cent share price, um, which is low-ish. And um, their last results are pretty positive. Mm. So we, we we would be we would be a buyer of, of NASPAS, and we'd probably prefer process over NASPAS at the moment. Um, but, you know, we don't have an expectation of absolute fireworks. Yeah. But I think if you can have a South African portfolio, it would certainly be one of the one of our top ten shares. Uh, very quickly, Nick, would you also have NASPAS, or would you buy it now? Um, yes, I would have it. Number one, number two, I would continue accumulating at this this level. And as Peter said, I'm in total agreement. It's really around what I think is a cheap ten cent, and so you're waiting for a re-rating there within ten cent, opposed to a significant closing of the sort of discount. I think ten cent looks attractive, and it's the bulk of their assets. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a viewer has sent us a question on your thoughts on transaction capital. And another viewer actually just sent us a, it's a bottle of TCP, which maybe is what investors read <laughs> right now, having gone through uh, the TCP ringer. Um, Peter, your thoughts? Yeah, so transaction capital, an absolute mess. You know, share price from 50 Rand to 5 Rand. Um, so you've got, you've got to view, um, you know, you've got to look at it at 5 Rand, understanding where it's come from. I think the you know there's three businesses in there. SA Taxi is the issue. Um, they they got completely um, you know the rug pulled from under their noses. Load shedding, fuel prices, the industry changed. I think they were overly aggressive in the way they accounted for it in the first place. Um, and and really the market's not prepared to play the risk game. So I think you've seen massive volume go through. 
I think clearly there have been some shareholders in the register who've said, I don't want to play this game, I'm out of here. Mm. If you look at it unemotionally and factually, um, you know, the, the big issue is whether, so SA Taxi is standalone. They've only got uh, about 200 million rand uh, reference to the head office. Um, and it sounds like that's still worth something. You know, it's, uh, and the other two businesses, Newton, which is debt collection and we buy cars, um, you would value it somewhere between 10 and 15 rand per share, depending on how generous you'd want to be. So the shares at five rand. Um, if SA Taxi is worth naught, um, you know, your share is probably still worth 10 to 15 rand. But it's, uh, it, you know, a big question mark over the, whether they can do the deal to kind of get the lenders and bankers comfortable with continuing to lend uh, the money to transaction capital, who in turn uh, lend it onto the taxi drivers. Well, not the drivers, the taxi owners. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, th- th- there's no doubt if they get it right, and there's a very talented management team there, um, you know, they've, 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 the, the CEO has been placed to one side, um, but the founders are very tough, hard businessmen. Um, and it's, you know, it's, whenever a company is in this state, and balance sheet issues cre- can create absolute uh, share smashes, which has happened. Uh, would I take a bet on it at five rand? I think if you've, you know, if you've got some risk appetite, and you've got a bit of time on your hands. Um, we, we, you know, this business is not bankrupt. It's not Steinhoff. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think, mm. yeah, we, we, we take a bet, bet at this price. But understand, you end, you know, the, you know, this business is in a bit of a crisis mode. Yeah. Um, would you be prepared to take that bet, Nick? And, uh, I mean, do you have a sense of how long it might take them to claw their way out of this? Um, so, no, I wouldn't take the bet, um, number one. Number two, how long is it going to take? Well, to be honest, how long is a piece of string? Um, I don't think it should take, you know, years, but there's there's a lot of water that needs to flow under bridges, I, I think, before that. And I think if you have a look from a credibility perspective, you just have a look what, what management sort of guided was going to happen with SA Taxi, you know, five months ago to what's happening now. There's a lot of uncertainty. Um, you know, I do think Peter makes a good point that, you know, fundamentally this company does look at the moment that it should be able to get through this. And should it do so, there is significant value there. But you probably would have had the same argument when the share was trading at eight rand. Now it's at five rand or into the four rands, right? So the visibility on that trajectory and when it's going to recover, I think, is uh, not there at the moment. Um, and because we have the uh, the ability to invest in other assets. It means this risk and uncertainty around timeframes, share price swings, et cetera, et cetera. It's just not a journey I'm interested in taking. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, well, that, that, that's the two schools of thought, and I guess that's what's playing out um, in terms of the share price performance now. Um, staying with you, Nick, there's a question on advanced micro devices. I don't know if it's a company you're familiar with. Um, the question is, is AMD still a long-term hold, or is it time to sell or just cash in on some of one's gains? And the person who has invested in this is up 25%, um, which is not too shabby. Yeah, so, I mean, AMD are one of those sort of companies offshore that should be a beneficiary of AI. Um, so that's that's the good news. That's the investment case. But what we've seen since the start of the year is that a whole bunch of companies, some of which will benefit from AI, others that will not benefit from AI, but at the moment, the whole sector, the whole semiconductor sort of sector has, you know, 
been on fire, I, I think, um, you know, through the course of this year. Um, looking at the companies, I would say that AMD probably has better odds and better chances than a lot of the other, the rest of the companies within that sort of sector. Uh, for me, if I held it at the moment, I would probably continue holding it. It would be the question whether you take a little bit of profit off the table or otherwise, but I think the, the, the long-term fundamental uh, remains solid for this sort of company. Uh, but I think any company that has had these robust returns on the back of future potential AI-related increases in their business, you've got to look at them cleverly and really make a decision as to whether or not you think it actually will benefit or it's just smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Um, very quickly, Peter, I know you don't follow AMD specifically, but do you think there are any shares that are screaming sells for you at this point, having done what they've done um, uh, year to date? Yeah, so I think, I mean, we've been taking a little bit of profit on the NVIDIA's and, you know, com when companies just rocket sky high, um, you know, if you look back to 2000, some of the absolute stars, the oracles and the like, took many years before they... Uh, kind of delivered the kind of earnings that justified the prices at the time. So there's a lot of hype out there. We quite like the cybersecurity companies. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot more demand from um, smarter computers that can create more security issues. And those companies are growing at uh, fantastic rates. They're pretty expensive. Um, but we think that's a nice way to play the theme. Um, so I think, the, yeah, I mean, you know, remembering that there's only 10 shares that have generated yeah. most of the return in the S&P this year in that whole uh, AR space. We'd, we'd, uh, we'd, we'd, we'd temper and take a bit of profit if you've been exposed to those spaces in the short term. Okay. Then a question on local bonds. And the viewer says, it seems that it's only a matter of time before we leap off the fiscal cliff. This would be disastrous to South African bondholders, amongst others. So would it be wise to sell my SA bonds and invest in offshore bonds um, or indeed, um, uh, yeah, offshore bonds to hedge against this. Um, Nick, are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a it's an interesting interesting comment. I think from from my side, um, potentially, what's going to happen is that you you know our our bond yields will follow what happens to specifically U.S. but let's say developed market bond yields, um, which I think on a sort of medium term basis look pretty attractive at the moment. Um, so in that sort of environment, I would kind of be a holder of both. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily a doomsday, this is it, physical cliff is finished, where you know, it's going to jump out, the discount is going to jump out significantly from here. Um, I think there's probably value in those asset classes, both locally and offshore. Um, if I were to pick one at the moment, you know, barring the RAND, which I do think is a, a bit on the weaker side, um, I, I would... I do think that it'll be led by, let's say, the U.S. the U.S. Uh, yields, and and ultimately that that therefore does look a little bit more attractive to me at the moment, rather than the SA side. Okay, um, Peter, are you sort of fairly sanguine about SA bonds, or do you think, as far as I understand, if if we don't hold the line at the medium-term budget policy statement, in other words, if if there's kind of commitments made to things that we actually cannot afford, like the social relief distress uh, grant, that it could be quite catastrophic for our finances. Is that what you'd be watching and waiting to see? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've been walking an economic political tightrope for, for a number of years, and, and our treasury is is pretty sound. Um, as Nick says, these th you know, one mustn't forget that 90% of the time these things take their lead from global events and global markets. We started anchor, anchor Capital 11 years ago, 
Last month was the first time I bought a client a U.S. 10-year government bond. Uh, you know, it's, it, they're the cheapest they've been in 15 years, and and they, they will normalize back. Yeah, they'll come back a percent or so, which gives you five to ten percent capital growth. Uh, from an SA point of view, I would, you know, we always recommend being diversified out of South Africa. Um, I think, you know, when you look talking about an SA bond versus a global bond, you've got to look at the currency is a massive factor. So, you know, so it's global yields, currency, and local conditions. Um, and those global, the, the currency can easily be back at, you know, 18 bucks in a year's time, in which case you'd much rather own the SA one. Mm. Um, so I think in a diversified portfolio, SA bonds are getting 11% while you wait. So it's a percent a month. And there's quite a big cushion there. Um, but it's, you know, oh, I, I certainly wouldn't like to have more than 20, 30. You know, if you're a real high net worth citizen, I wouldn't want more than 20 or 30% of my um, investment nav exposed to one country, you know, that being South Africa. Yeah. Okay. And I'd probably say that if I lived in any country in the world besides America. Um, but SA has got some very specific and rising risks. Um, but, uh, you know, with, within that risk spectrum, there's always investment opportunities. Yeah. But it's, yeah, I diversify. But SA bonds fundamentally look pretty attractive, but, you know, you've got that tail risk. Yeah. You've always just got that scare, that five or ten percent chance that uh that things go really bad. Yeah, that Fakil Mbulula becomes president of the country. Imagine that. <laughs> um okay, I'm getting to your stock picks now. Nick, what would you plump for at the moment? Well, I think, I mean, we've discussed it as almost a theme, I think, throughout this uh, conversation so far. And the reality is, looking at markets at the moment, there's not much visibility. There's a lack of conviction that's out there. So the starting point for looking at investors is what's cheap. Um, a lot of global markets aren't cheap at the moment. Um, however, I think Chinese stocks are pretty cheap at the moment. Um, and I also think SA stocks are pretty cheap at the moment. So, you know, as the viewers have mentioned, there are a lot of risks here, but I think a lot of those risks are already in the price. Um, so from a risk return perspective, I like buying sort of solid, good quality companies at these sort of levels and valuation. Uh, for that matter, at the moment, my food pick um, today or stock pick is Rhodes Food Group. I think it's a sort of a small, medium kind of sized uh, company listed on the, on, the, on, the, on the stock exchange. I think it's well run. I think it's inexpensive at the moment, and I think it's well diversified. It is a food company, so it has got volatility around there as to what happens with other food prices, etc., around the world, uh, El Nino in South Africa, so on and so forth. But overall, it's inexpensive. So yeah. not a bad time to actually uh, you know, pick up a, a stock like that. Yeah, okay. And food picks, you know, they do a good pie. Um, uh, Nick, uh, I mean, thanks for that. Peter, what would your be, uh, pick be? Yeah, so I think uh, Sun International still looks quite interesting. Um, you know, they've just come out with the results, which confirmed what we thought about the company for quite some time. Um, a big driver behind local and foreign tourism. Uh, interesting to see Table Bay went from making virtually nothing to 100 million rand in six months. You know, if the demand's there, you can pick up your rates, and these businesses do a lot better. Mm. And uh, the fascinating part is Sunbed. They suddenly seem to have got their online gaming right and a massive increase in profits from there. So you, you're sitting with a company that can grow reasonably, um, but for a certain category of investor, they're paying out, you're sitting at about a 9% dividend yield uh, from a share that's uh, showing some growth. So we, yeah. we think it's an interesting one. 
it's not it's not going to double in the next year. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you include a ten percent dividend yield, it's, it's easy to get a twenty percent plus return uh, with relatively low risk and lots of positive factors behind it. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there, Jens. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Nick, Peter, good to chat to you both. Uh, Peter Armitage is from Anchor Capital. Nick Crail is from F&B Wealth and Investments. Coming up the close, stay with us.